mentioned here. Brother Jerry mentioned it. 1 John 4, 19 says of the Lord that we love Him because He first loved us. Okay. There's not a one of us that can love Him the way He should be loved except we first receive the love He has for us. The reason that's important is because those words there, we love Him, that word love is agape. We agape Him because He first agaped us. That word agape is a form of love. It is unconditional love. It is... Freely offered, freely given. It's not love that you can earn. It's free. I mean, it cost him something, but it cost you nothing. It's free. And there's no way that we can love him unconditionally unless we first receive his love. There are... For those of you that were in the first service, I, I, we're going to transition here, so don't go, man, here we go again. We already hold, heard this. Well, some of it you'll hear again. Maybe you need to hear it twice, sir. You'll just get double portion. But watch. There are four different types of love, three mentioned in the Bible. The one is the most common type of love is filio. It's where we get our term Philadelphia. Anybody ever heard of Philadelphia. The city of what? Brotherly love. Okay. Yeah. Filio love is love between brothers, relational, right? We have these relations. It's relationship love. Okay. Uh, it can be very personal, can be very strong and very binding. Um, it can be intimate, but not in a physical way. Okay. I can have a deep, deep filio love with my brother, okay? But not in a strange or odd or awkward, intimate way, okay? But it can be intimate because of the way God binds us together. We read in Scripture about how David loved Jonathan and Jonathan loved David. They had filio love, but it was very intimate and personal and real. Some people in our day have tried to twist that and paint this picture that, that David and Jonathan had a homosexual relationship and that's such a lie from the pit of hell. They had an intimate relationship. They cared deeply for one another. They were willing to lay down their life for one another. Started with filio. So filio can be filio love can be in a husband and wife relationship. But then we see another type of love that's called eros. Eros love is where we get our word erotic from. It's not a bad word. The world, the God of this world has made it a bad word, has taken that and made things perverted, has taken that type of love outside of the confines of marriage, the way the Bible intends it, the way God intends it, and has taken erotic love and made it outside of marriage, and thereby it becomes perverted and defiled and unclean. But God intended for that. He said in Genesis that when he made Eve a woman, he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to his girlfriend. Oh, no, he didn't say that. Cling to his partner. Oh, no, he didn't say that. He said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to his Aha. Do you know that was in, book, in Genesis? That was God's plan from the beginning. Shall cling to his wife, and they too shall become what? One flesh. That can't happen with two men. It's not God's design. It's perversion. It's sin. It's an abomination to God. Now, so I want to talk about this morning, but it's important. The world tries to twist. So eros is designed to be, to be between a husband and a wife. 
That's the only place it's designed for. Anything else is either adultery or fornication, according to the Scripture. So you can search that out in Scripture. We, I got all kinds of notes about that. The men at men's prayer know that. All right, but watch. So this is eros. This is see now all these love that God had. They're all good. Anything about them that's bad is because the God of this world has taken it and twisted it and perverted it and polluted it. But God intended it to be. This is why a marriage between a man and a woman is one of the most precious things in the world. Because that, that can be Eros love the way God intended. The way God intended. And it's beautiful and it's perfect. And, it can be, and then it becomes, it can become in both of those, in Thelio and in Eros, they can become agape love. There is no greater love than agape love. So a man can say, I love my wife. But really what he means is I filio and I eros her. But I'm learning to agape her. Okay? So you're like, well, hold on a minute. What am I learning to do? What? So when my wife and I got married, I said I love her. She's the only woman I ever told I love you to. I did that before we got married. Then I knew I was in trouble because I'm like, this is it. I, I never threw that word around casually. And so I never told girls I dated, I love you, ever. But my wife, I remember, man, I was scared to death when I finally said it, when it came out of my mouth. I remember where we were. Wasn't like this real super romantic location. As a matter of fact, I think there was a fly and it was bugging me to death. But I, I remember. And so anyway, those words came out of my mouth and I... I don't remember if I started crying or just felt like I wanted to, but it, anyway, well, I didn't really love her. Not agape love. It was filial. We had a filial love, right? There's a relationship that become, you know, I cared for her. She cared for me. And in the back of my mind, I, I hope this is okay. We're adults in here. In, in the back of my mind, right? <laughs> In the back of my mind, I was thinking about Eros. That was a motivator. But I didn't Eros her at that time because we weren't married yet. And so some of y'all caught that. And so. But now after 31, almost 32 years. I think I can say most days. I agape her. The reason I say most days is because sometimes I stumble and fall and I don't agape the way I should. What is agape? I love her unconditionally. She doesn't have to do anything to earn my love. She doesn't have to fix me good meals five nights a week, G, so that I love her. I mean, I'm all good with that. Don't get me wrong. I love it when she does that. But agape is not based on that. Right? She doesn't have to like press all my clothes, do all the laundry and take care of all this stuff. And she does some of those things. But that doesn't, that doesn't become a measure of love. I agape her. It's unconditional. It's not based on her performance. She doesn't do something to earn my love. I love her. That didn't happen the first week we were married. You have some, man, I'm trying to go somewhere else, and here we are on this. Trust you. You trust the Lord. I do too. The Lord wants to help us. We need, see, the world has corrupted love. Hollywood has corrupted love. All these elements of the God of this world has painted pictures to us of what love is, and it's not true. It's a lie, and it's caused people to pursue things that Hollywood paints a picture of, or, and they get this idea, oh, man, you know, they watch. I was almost going to throw out some names of some people, but then I thought the people would be like, who's that? I don't know. because like, um, they, they get this idea, oh, look, oh, the, oh, how come that's what I want? Look, I'm going to tell you, you're never going to have that unless you're starring in a Hollywood movie. 
Okay, that's not, I, I don't know if some of you know this or not. Hollywood is not real. It's fake. They're called actors. They act. They act. It's not real. But the world has deceived people into watching that junk and thinking, oh, how here we are. How come somebody can write, you know, they have these movies, I understand, they're called rom-coms. Anybody ever heard of those? What is it? It's like romantic comedies. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? They all end the same, don't they? Yours? They all end the same. You, you get what? You're like, I know it's going to happen. Right? Something happens and they're done. She's off and away. But somehow somebody's going to write a story and it's going to come full circle. And, oh, they were always meant for each other. And they're going to come back together. And it's going to be happily. Oh, it's so beautiful. Ah, right? And they'll write again and again and again. And the story's the same. They just change the characters and a few little bit of sub things. It may be Sleepless in Seattle or it may be Lost in New York City. I don't know what they write. All these it, it doesn't matter what they call it. They just keep rewriting the same thing over and over and over and over again. They change a few characters, change a few settings, do a little thing, make some stuff. But it always has the same line. These two unlikely people come together and lo and behold, maybe they're not made, but then they end up at the end and everything. And you know it's gonna, how it's going to end. Always. That's not real love. That's not real love. We need the love of God. We need the love of God. Because then we come to know real love. And the world is desperate to be loved. But the only way they'll know real love is when it's manifested through the body of Christ. Okay? And so the scripture says we love him because he first loved us. How do we know he loved us? Because Romans 5 and 8, I believe it is, tells us God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't earn it. We definitely didn't deserve it. But yet he died for us. As why? To express his love to us. Now watch. So because of that, now we're going to shift. You ready to shift? The book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Hebrews, chapter 6, verse, uh, let's try verse 2. Verse 1. Let's start with verse 1. Hebrews 6 and 1. Thank you, Brother Luis, for helping us with all that. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, leaving the principles of Christ, of the doctrine of Christ, he's not saying forget about it, kick it to the side. He's saying, hey, we understand this. We're not going to keep going over this again. But he said, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on. Go on. Everybody say, I should go on. Let us go on unto perfection or completion. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. I shouldn't have to keep going back to repenting for something over and over and over and over again. That would tie into what we said in the first service, but I'm not going to go that way. So if you think I'm in the same spot. but This is what the writer's saying. He's saying, hey, we shouldn't keep living in this foundational state of our relationship with God. We should go beyond that. Let's go on unto completion. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Repentance is a foundational thing. Repentance from dead works is a foundational thing. And faith towards God. Having faith toward God is a foundational thing. Hebrews 11 and 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to Him must first believe that He is, and He's rewarded them that diligently seek Him. Because that's Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. But watch. So those are foundational things. Verse number 2. Of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. These are all, these are all foundational things. Repentance, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead, eternal judgment. These are foundational things. We may talk about some of these foundational things over the next few weeks. 
But today I want to talk about the foundational thing of the doctrine of baptisms. Because we're going to baptize Alan today. I'm excited about that. God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost there at men's conference. Isn't that beautiful? I'm not trying to. He said it was. It really was. His view it still is. Amen. I'm not trying to put him on the spot, but I was talking to him afterwards. He said, man, I didn't know I could speak in tongues. <laughs> the Spirit of God just filled him. It was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I think multiple times he sort of got filled and refilled and renewed, and it was just beautiful. But So we're going to talk about the doctrine of baptisms. Do you know there's a doctrine of baptisms? It's a foundational element of Scripture. This is Paul. Or Paul, The writer of Hebrews, I don't know if you think Paul wrote it. We can argue about that some other time. But um, The writer of Hebrews said we don't want to lay again the foundation. So this is why we're not baptized over and over again. We don't keep going back to that. But we need to understand the doctrine of baptisms. We need to accept the foundational things, walk in the foundational things, and then we go on unto perfection or completion in Christ. So let's look at this uh, doctrine of baptisms. So Matthew 28, 19, Jesus, some of his last words, this is off quoted, and unfortunately men often stop with this verse and don't keep digging in the Scripture to understand what the Word says about the doctrine of baptisms. Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended, he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Which nations should be taught this? Which nations? Okay, so he wasn't picking and choosing. He said, go teach all nations. And you're supposed to teach them and then baptize them. Who's, who's them? Right. Baptizing them in the what? What's it say? In the name. Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Raise your hand if you agree with that verse right there. Praise God. Okay, so now I have a question for you. This is not a trick question. Don't overthink it. Should we obey what Jesus said? Amen? So we should baptize in the name. Amen? Okay, here's another question. This is easy. It's a yes or no question. Is Father a name? Is Son a name? Is Holy Ghost a name? So Jesus wasn't saying, when you baptize, do it. Don't baptize somebody. Go, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and I'll baptize you. Because that's not a name. Was Jesus confused? No, no. So apparently the people he was talking to had an understanding of what the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost was. You with me so far? It's not going to get much more complicated than this. Because the Lord gives us Scripture. He doesn't make it complicated. The God of this world tries to blind our minds so we won't see it in the Scripture. Okay? So the name. Notice he did not say baptize them in the names. The name. Baptize them in the name. Aren't you thankful for that? So let's go to the book of John chapter 3. Aren't some of y'all proud of me? I kept my coat on the whole first service. I don't know if you noticed that or not. It's like a miracle. Huh? I wasn't. I just endured, Sister Julie. All right. So John chapter 3, verse 1. Here we find an interesting time. It's nighttime. And here at night, we find a man that is a Pharisee. That means he was one of the religious leaders of the day. Or we know he was one of the religious leaders of the day. And as a Pharisee, he was very studied and obedient to the law of Moses. And so this man was named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. Because he was a ruler of the Jews and a Pharisee, he didn't want to be seen with Jesus. Because if people saw him with Jesus, they might get the wrong idea and think he was following him. And that was, you know. So verse 2, he came to Jesus at night. And he said to him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no man can do the miracles that you do except God be with him, verse number three. 
Now, did he ask a question in what I just read to you? No, he just made a statement. But Jesus knew he's got a question because Jesus knows our heart. And so Jesus answered. He heard the question in his statement because he was really asking. He said, Rabbi, teacher, we know. We know you're a man sent from God because nobody can do these miracles except God be with him. But what he was really asking is, are you the Messiah? Jesus knew what he was asking. And so Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So you got to be born again. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus was old. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse number 5. And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now I want you to watch something here because remember we're talking about the doctrine of baptisms. So here we get introduced. We already saw how Jesus said that we should be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But here in Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, he steps into the doctrine of baptisms. Water and spirit. There is water baptism and there is spirit baptism. Okay? Don't worry, I'm going to give you scripture. But we see this here in his response to Nicodemus about entering into the kingdom of God. You can't enter the kingdom, Jesus said, except you're born of water and of the Spirit. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. So I want to be born again of water and of the Spirit. Amen? All right. So let's go to Luke 24. I'm going to skip a lot for sake of time. We can give you a whole lot more, but I just want you to talk. Luke 24. Verse 46. Jesus said to them, Thus it's written, and thus it behooved Christ, or it's written, and it was necessary for Christ to suffer to rise from the dead the third day. Why was this necessary? Why was this expression of his love necessary? This expression of his love for death on the cross. It was necessary, verse 47, here's why. That repentance and remission of sins. Everybody say remission of sins. I want you to remember that. Remission just simply means the removal. Anybody interested in the removal of your sins? It was necessary, his suffering, his burial, his resurrection, it was necessary for the repentance and the removal of sins to be preached. How? In his name. Among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on High. Okay. John the Baptist made this statement in, I think it's in Matthew. You can go find it. It's in there or you've heard it. John the Baptist made this statement. He said, there comes one after me who is preferred before me, for he was before me. You ever heard that before? He was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the way, was six months younger than him. But John the Baptist said, he was before me. He said, he was preferred before me. He said, the latchet of whose shoes I am not even worthy to unloose. I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his sandals. He said, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Or some translations read, He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we see the baptism of the Spirit. 
John said that more than once, John the Baptist. Now watch. So go to Acts chapter number one. Talk about the doctrine of baptisms. Verse number eight, Jesus tells his disciples right before he ascended. Remember, Matthew 28, 19 was right before he ascended. So this is all in that same time frame. He's saying these final things to his disciples. So pretty important stuff. Of course, everything Jesus said was important. But I really want to be to pay attention if he's laying something out right before he ascends. So we see here in verse 8, Jesus said, but you shall receive power. That word power there is, uh, is uh, dunamis, like miraculous power. You shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. Skip over to chapter 2. Verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I should have these three ladies come say this for you. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Is that what it says? Oh, you know, can you go back to John chapter 3, verse number 6? We stopped at verse 5. Go back to verse 6, John 3 and 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Right? This is right after he said you got to be born again of the water and the spirit. Watch verse 7, though. Marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse 8. Watch. Watch verse 8. The wind, everybody say the wind. The wind blows where it listens or it blows where it chooses. And you hear the sound of the wind, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 again. The day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty. A rushing mighty. Such are they that are born of the Spirit. The wind bloweth where it listeth. You hear the sound thereof. And the wind filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the. This is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Spirit. Born again of the Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit. They didn't learn it. Nobody told them, say this, say that. We were kids. I'm not making a mockery of them. I'm just telling you, kids, we had people who would walk around and say, they would repeat, I tie, see me tie, watch me tie my tie. And they would say that real fast. I tie, see me tie, watch me tie my tie. Yes, and we got it. And you don't teach people to speak in tongues. And we don't seek tongues. Hear me. Somebody hear me. This is important. We don't seek tongues. We seek Him. We seek Him. We seek the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the one true living God. His Spirit will come and dwell in us. Somebody says, do I have to speak in tongues to get the Holy Ghost? And I said, no. But when you get the Holy Ghost, you'll speak in tongues. Why? Because there's something about the way God ordained it, that when His Spirit first comes and fills a vessel, that the Spirit begins to give utterance. The Spirit begins to speak what we cannot speak in our own effort. And so we see this here, this baptism of the Holy Ghost. Skip over to verse 38 in the same chapter. There were Jews that were there. They heard this. They witnessed this. They saw it. They thought they were drunk. Peter said, they're not drunk like you think, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters are prophesied. He says all that. That's earlier in chapter 2. And so then he comes here, and the Jews are pricked in their heart. In verse 36, they're, they're pricked in their heart. And they said, men and brethren, what must we do? They're like, oh, because they learned they crucified Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and they were pricked. What do we do? What do we got to do to be saved now? And Peter said unto them, verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent. Right? Doctrine of repentance. Foundational. And be baptized, doctrines of baptisms. Be baptized, every one of you. That sounds like all nations, doesn't it? Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Remember Luke 24? Jesus said, repentance 
and remission of sins should be preached in my name, beginning at Jerusalem. That's what we just read a while ago in Luke 24. So Peter here is doing what Jesus said he should do. He's preaching repentance and remission of sins at Jerusalem. But Jesus also told him, we saw it in Matthew 28, that you should go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So either Peter understood something that Jesus said, or Peter started telling his own little side of things. But oh, by the way, on the day of Pentecost, the other 11 were all standing there with him. Read it. The other 11 stood with him. So Peter wasn't out there being independent. All the apostles that heard the words of the Lord Jesus, they were standing there when Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the removal of your sins. Jesus said repentance and remission of sins should be preached at Jerusalem. Peter understood from all of his time in teaching with Jesus that remission of sins comes through baptism. And he understood that baptism should be in the name. And he understood the fulfillment of Matthew 28, 19. Baptized in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost is baptism in the name. And the name is Jesus Christ. He understood that and the other 11 with him. Verse 39, he said this, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Born of water, born of the Spirit. Not complicated, I know. Some of you know this already, but we need to understand. This is the doctrine of baptisms. Baptism in water, baptism in the Spirit. Jesus said you got to be born again of the water and born again of the Spirit. Oh, you'll not enter into the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Right? Okay, so stay there in the book of Acts and flip over to Acts chapter number 8. Verse 12, this is the city of Samaria, Philip. Philip is there preaching in Samaria, and people are getting healed, great joys in the city. But Philip must have been preaching something. What was he preaching? When they believed Philip, who was preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, and he was preaching something else, and the name of Jesus Christ, what did they do that believed? They were baptized, men and women. Verse number 13. And then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Next verse. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, so they're not in Samaria, but they heard, word got back. They heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John down there to check this out. Verse 15. Who, that's Peter and John, when they were come down, they prayed for them. Now, I have a question for you. Were the people in Samaria believers? They believed, didn't they? When they believed, they were baptized, the Bible says. When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. So they were believers. But apparently there was something more. Because when Peter and John went down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. So they were believers, but they hadn't yet been born of the Spirit. And Jesus, and they had already been buried in water. So they had the doctrine of baptism in water. They had been born of water, but they'd not yet been born of the Spirit. So Peter and John prayed for them that they might receive the baptism of the Spirit. You with me? Verse 16. Why did they do that? For as yet he, who's he? He is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. He was fallen on none of them. Only they were baptized. How were they baptized? How come it doesn't say, and they were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost? What's going on? Is Philip and all these apostles violating what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19? Are they discounting and dismissing Jesus' very specific command from Matthew 28, 19? No. They are fulfilling Jesus' very specific command. His command was specific, baptizing them in the name. And they knew the name. Okay? Acts chapter 10.
Start with verse 1 quickly. There was a certain man in Caesarea, Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He was a devout man. He feared God with all his house. He gave much alms to the people. He prayed to God always. He saw in the vision about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid, and he said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Your prayers and your alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now question after those first four verses. Would you say that Cornelius is a believer? Does he believe in God? He's devout. He prays always, the Bible said. He gives alms. His prayers have been so impactful that this angel shows up and says, your prayers have come up as a memorial before God. I think it's safe to say Cornelius is a believer. Yeah. But watch. So why was this angel showing up about? Let's look at verse 5. And the angel says to him, that's, just in case you forgot, this is the angel talking now. Send men to Joppa and ask for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Ask for Peter. Verse 6. He, he's lodging with Simon a Tanner, who's housed by the seaside. Watch what it says. Here's why you're going to go get Peter. Look at that last line. He will tell you what you ought to do. Hold on a minute. Cornelius is faithful. He's devout. He prays always. He's got memorials built up in prayer. He gives alms. Why is an angel showing up and saying, go get Peter, this fisherman that's down at a lot, Tanner's house. Get him to come down here, and he'll tell you what you should consider. Is that what it says? He'll tell you what you should consider and maybe give thought to. No, 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 no. He'll tell you what you ought to do. So Peter, they go get him three days journey away. The same Peter that preached in Acts chapter 2 that we already read. The same Peter that went with John down to Samaria that we read about in Acts chapter 8. They go get Peter. Peter comes down to Cornelius' house there in Caesarea, and he starts preaching to them. And he's, guess what he starts preaching to them? He started preaching Christ. We can read that if you pick up in verse number uh, 38. We're not going to read all this for time. But this is in the middle of his sermon that he's preaching in Cornelius' house. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went abroad doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Little translation, God was in him. They were together. Verse 39, and were witnesses of all these things which he did in the land of the Jews, Jerusalem. They slew and hung him on a tree. Him God raised up from the third day, showed him openly, not all people. Right, we see all this. Verse 42, he commanded Jesus, commanded us, Peter saying, to preach to the people, to testify it's him which was ordained of God, to be the judge of quick, living, and dead. To him, to Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his what? This is Peter preaching to Cornelius in his house. He's preaching about Jesus to them. And he says to him, to Jesus, give all the prophets. That's the Old Testament, all those prophets in the Old Testament. They all give witness that through his name... Whoever believes in him shall receive what? The removal of their sins. And this sounds sort of like what Jesus said. If you believe in, right, you see, remission, here's this remission of sin. Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Here Peter says, all that believe on him will receive remission of sins. Or should receive remission of sins. Right? That's what he's preaching. Now watch, verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, something happened. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, that's the Jews that had already been filled with the Holy Ghost that were traveling with Peter. They of the circumcision which believed, they were astonished as many as came with Peter. Why were they astonished? Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. We're seeing Gentiles baptized in the Spirit. How did they know this? Verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter. Peter had, well, hold on a minute. Peter preached to him Christ, told him, if you believe, you shall receive remission of sins. While he's preaching, the Holy Ghost falls on them, so now they're baptized with the Spirit. So they're good. Peter felt like they need. Remember the angel said, Peter, who tell you what you ought to do? 
So they've been baptized in the Spirit. But Jesus said, except a man is born again of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So Peter, after he sees them be baptized with the Holy Ghost while he's preaching, then Peter answered, verse 47, Can any man forbid water that these should be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Verse 48, and he suggested, is that what your Bible says? Oh, yours says commanded to. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Why would Peter command that after somebody's already been baptized with the gift of the Holy Ghost? They've received, received spirit baptism. Because Peter understood what Jesus said to Nicodemus. you got to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. This is the doctrine of baptisms. Okay? Acts 19. Or let's go to Acts 11 real quick, and then we'll go to 19. Just one verse I want you to see here. Peter is retelling the story in Acts 11 of what just happened in Acts 10. He's back in Jerusalem. He's testifying. Sort of like you do. You know, God usually does something great, and then the next day you're telling everybody. That's what Peter's doing. He's telling, you're not going to believe what happened. We went down to Caesarea. I oh, know they were Gentiles. Hold on. Stay with me. Yes, they were Gentiles. Stop. Just listen. Yes, they were Gentiles. But you're not going to believe this. This is crazy. I was talking about Jesus. When I was talking about Jesus, the Holy Ghost came on them. They're not Jews. I'm telling you, I watched them with my own eyes, the Gentiles, the Holy Ghost, the same way we got it. They begin to speak. Here, these six guys were with me. Ask them. That's what chapter 11 says. Really? See, you don't read it like I read it, but it's in there. We make it, thus saith thou. No, this was, Peter was excited. The Gentiles had got the Holy Ghost. He was to, and the guys at Jerusalem were like, come on, they're not Jews. But Peter was like, no, 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 we saw it. And I have witnesses. And they were saying, yep, it's true. We saw it. Just like us. The Holy Ghost fell on them. They, they, they confirmed what Peter was sharing. They were excited. And they were like, praise God. Okay, I guess it's for the Gentiles too. It's for the Gentiles too. You're a Gentile in case you didn't know that. It's for us too. So what? Verse 11, he's retelling all of that. And watch this part. Verse 12, and the Spirit bade me go with them. That's those three guys that showed up. You know, three strangers show up knocking on your door saying, go with me because, you know, my master said to ask you to come because the one that I work for, he said, come because he saw an angel and the angel told him to come get you. You're like, what? Okay. Yeah, I'm, this is, it happened. Peter said, that's what happened. There were three men ready to come to the house where I was, sent from Caesarea to me. And the Spirit bade me, verse 12, go with them without doubting. Moreover, these six men accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And the man showed us how he had seen an angel in his house. That's Cornelius he's talking about. Which stood and said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He'll tell you words where... Now watch what Peter says. Remember, in Acts 10, he said, he'll tell you, the angel said, he'll tell you what you ought to do. Watch how Peter heard it from Cornelius and relays it. He'll tell the words whereby you and all your house shall be saved. The angel said, Peter will tell you what you need to do to be saved. See that? That's what Peter said. He'll tell you words whereby you and all your house shall be saved. And as I, Peter's talking here, right? And as I begin to speak, can you hear his excitement? I know he has. And as I begin to speak, the Holy Ghost. Come on, you get excited about something. You think Peter wasn't human like you? He was a fisherman, man. He caught a fish. Look at this fish I got. I think he's excited. Man, as I begin to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them like it did on us at the beginning, Acts 2 and 1 that we read about. It fell on them like it did on us at the beginning. Then I remembered, Peter says, then I remembered the word of the Lord, how that he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Peter connected the two. This is what he was talking about. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. I saw it happen to this guy in this house, just like it happened to us. 
Talking about the doctrine of baptisms. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. It's for you and your children and them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Okay. We'll finish here. Acts 19. So we saw it in Jerusalem. We saw it in Samaria. We saw it in Caesarea with a bunch of Gentiles. Now watch. Acts chapter 19. Philip was baptizing people. Peter was baptizing people. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. What do you find in Ephesus? Disciples. Okay, so let's backtrack really fast. In Acts chapter 8, they were believers that had been baptized. But Peter and John came and laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was a believer. But the angel said, go get Peter. He's going to tell you what you ought to do. And Peter, when he related, said, the angel said, come and tell him what he's got to do to be saved. He was a believer but apparently there needed to be more for salvation, according to Acts 11 that we just read. you got to be born again of the water and of the Spirit, or you cannot enter into the kingdom of God, Jesus said. The doctrine of baptisms. It's foundational. Everything else builds on it. So he found disciples. These are believers. They're disciples. And he said to them, watch this question of them. It's an interesting question of disciples. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Oh, they're, they're definitely believers now. We know that. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said to him, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So when they said that, Paul said, hmm, they haven't even heard about the Holy Ghost. That indicates something to me. Watch what he says in verse 3. Unto what then were you baptized? See, he recognized there's a correlation between people being born of the Spirit and if they've been born of the water. Remember Acts 2, 38, Peter said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So when they're saying, we haven't even heard about the Holy Ghost, he's like, hmm, how are you baptized? Because he knew the promise that Peter had preached. If you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for mission, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a gift. It's a promise. That's what we read about in Acts 1 and 8, Luke 2, 24, 48. All right? So he asked the question, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, John's baptism, speaking of John the Baptist. Now watch. Peter didn't discredit, or Peter, Paul didn't discredit that, but Paul brought more understanding the Scripture does not seek to discredit wherever anyone is in their relationship with God. The Scripture just seeks to bring us into greater understanding and relationship with Him. Sometimes people struggle to receive greater revelation in Scripture because they feel like it discredits what they already know. No, no. God just saying, I love you so much, I'm going to reveal more. If you'll open your spirit and your heart and see it in the Word of God. So he, they said we were baptized at John's baptism. So they've already been baptized. Is that fair to say? Okay, verse 4. Then said Paul, John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people, they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So they heard Paul say that. And what did they do? Verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, we haven't heard that before, but I hear what you're saying. I'm a believer. I'm a disciple. I want to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hear me, I'm going to be really plain. If you were baptized and somebody baptized you and said in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost and brought you out of the water, they did not declare the name. We all agreed at the very outset, Father, Son, Holy Ghost was not a name. The power is in the name, not in the title. It's the name. 
I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm an uncle. But if I sign a check, I don't sign, I don't sign father, son, brother, uncle. The people who cash that check, they don't care what my title is. They want to know that my name is on it. In baptism, the power is not in the title. It's in the name. That's why Jesus said, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. You say, well, what about somebody that was just baptized? And they said, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I would say, just like these people in Acts 19, they need to be re-baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You need the name. Oh, but watch, that wasn't all that happened. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, what happened? The Holy Ghost, that's the baptism of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. When you are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, it is for, as we've read in a couple of places already here today, the remission or the removal of sins. Every lie you've ever told, everything you've ever stole. I know that's not really a word, but that's how, it used to, that's how they used to say it when I was a kid. Every lie you've ever told and everything you ever stole. Right? When you're baptized in Jesus' name, it's not just covered, it's removed. It's removed. You're justified. It's, this is the way I got that word uh, defined for me. I know it's not the real definition, but it's how I got it's just if I never did it, just as if I never did it. Justified. That's the remission of sins through the waters of baptism. It's not like, okay, it's okay now. Just don't mess up. No, no. It removes the sin from your life. It's as though you had a record that tur that you're standing before a judge. And because of that record, you're facing issues, sentences of life or years and years and remission comes, and the judge says, Brother Allen, I see no record. I'm not sure why you're here. There's no record. I have no sentence to hand out. You have no record. There's no case to be held. You have no record. That's remission of sins. When you and I are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, it is the remission of sins. It's the cleaning of our record. I have a friend, a dear friend, who was facing 40 years to life. Done some crazy stuff. I think we've got a recorded testimony that he gave like on Father's Day a few years ago. Crazy stuff. Dude's still crazy. But now he's crazy for the Lord and he preaches and God uses him in a great way and I love him with all my heart. Love him to death. He got back in relationship with God. God began to restore his life. He was facing 40 years to life. He went through this one-year program with the courts. He had stacks. I mean, you name it, he'd done it. He hadn't just done drugs and sold drugs. He made drugs. He had houses that were drug labs. He had fought cops. He had shot at them. He had GTA, you name it. He had it. It was on his list, man. You name it. Facing 40 years to life. He stood before the judge that day in this new program that the state had instituted just a year before, and he got in it by a miracle. And he stood before the judge that day, and they didn't just say, you're free. They expunged his entire record. It's unbelievable. He has zero record today. No record. And they ask him, I just got to tell this is beautiful. They ask him, Mr. Mahaney, would you like to say anything today in the court? He said, your honor, could I sing? And he could sing. And he began to sing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found. 
I was blind. I see. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. This is the foundational doctrine of baptisms. When you go down in the water in the name of Jesus Christ, you're not just getting wet. It's not just the water. There's nothing special about the water. It's obedience to the word and the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And when you're buried in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, his blood is applied to your life. It cleanses you from all sin. And you come out of the water, your sins are washed away, never to be remembered against you again. This is the power of baptism. This is why we don't baptize babies. Mark 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized, an infant can't believe. And I'm definitely not going to take an infant and hold their nose and dunk them underwater. But this is why we baptize in the name of Jesus, because the Bible teaches it. Because it's the only name, Acts 4 and 12, it's the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, the Scripture says. This is why we preach the baptism of the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence with speaking in other tongues as His Spirit gives the utterance. Because we believe what Jesus said, you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. But remember where we started in Hebrews 6. Please stand with me. Remember where we started in Hebrews 6. Verse number 1. Let us go on unto perfection. So once we've gone through the foundational doctrines of repentance, baptism, as many of you have and as some will today, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, we should go on. That's called being born again, right? Except a man is born again of the water and the spirit. That's being born again. Now, here's the thing. When my children were born, I didn't say, my goodness, you've been living for seven days. Start acting like an adult. <laughs> I didn't even do that when they've been living for one year. Come on, we've been doing this for a year now. How many times do I have to feed you? <laughs> oh, I'm still asking that question. We love feeding them now. No, we understand there's progression from birth. From birth. So it is spiritually. Don't let the enemy beat you up and go, man, I've been baptized. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost, but I'm still struggling. You know, you've been born again. Let's go on. And we got to go on. You gotta, I'm going to go on. If I fell, what are you going to do? I'm going to get up and I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on. I'm not going to keep going back and laying a foundation. I'm going on. But we should grow into the fullness and the stature of Christ. But that starts with being born again. And then the indwelling spirit of grace. That's what the Holy Ghost is called in the book of Hebrews. The spirit of grace. It dwells in us. And what does grace do? I'll tell you what grace does. Grace enables you and I to do what we cannot do ourselves. I'm not good. I'm just like the Apostle Paul. In me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. So what is it? How am I good? How are you good? It's the goodness of God. The Holy Ghost, the spirit of grace. Grace enables me to do what I can't do in my own. I don't know how you're able to. I just can't do it. You're right. Me neither. It's the grace of God in me that enables me to do. That's the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God. Could you thank the Lord right now? Oh, let's give him glory. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, you've seen it in the Word. You should be. You should be. It's for the remission of sins. 
If you haven't been, it doesn't mean you don't have some relationship with God. It's just the scripture today is bringing more understanding to you. The scripture today is bringing more revelation to you. The scripture today is saying, hey, there's more now. You're a believer. You're a disciple. You believe the word. But the Lord, through his word, is saying, I'm bringing you some more understanding now. Wherever you are in life, however long you've been. The scripture doesn't tell us how long Cornelius had been prayerful and devout. He may have been that way for 25 years. But thank God Peter came. He said, Cornelius, I'm commanding you and your house to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Peter knew. Amen. Praise God. Alan, we'll let you change. Go ahead. Have somebody help you get ready. And we will baptize Alan in Jesus' name this morning.